I'm Harley Ruda, and I'm running for the 48th District of California, and I never, ever listen to I Doubt It with Dalimore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dalimore. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 707 of I Doubt It with Dalimore. I am your host, Jesse Dalimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. You know what? Enough about me, Jesse D, because Enough. this is wait, wait, wait. This is this is your <laughs> day, sir. This uh, is your day. God it damn. is Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day to Jesse D. Jesse D was a Marine. Everybody. Stop? First of all, you. Ju- first of all, before we move on, we're also joined today. <laughs> By the equally lovely, talented, and scholarly, absolutely, uh, political maestro Mike McLaughlin. Mike, how are you? Thank you for joining us, brother. I'm good. Thanks for having me back. It's been almost two years. That's uh, right. Oh almost wow! The day. So yeah, friend. Happy Happy Veterans Day again to you, Jesse Semper Fi. That's um, but thanks for having me. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, friend of the show, former Harley Ruda, former. Congressman, our our congressman got the guy elected, mm-hmm. and then um, you weren't his his uh, <laughs> you weren't his campaign manager this time, and he didn't win. He lost to a terrible Republican candidate, and then you went on. You didn't. You weren't his campaign manager this time because you went on to be Amy Klobuchar's um, national field director for her for her presidential campaign. Very nice. But That's before right. we before we get into that, I got to talk about this Veterans Day thing. Because <laughs> Brittany, she fucked it up. What? She said it's my day. When you had just gone, yeah. you were trying to see how to spell it, whether it's apostrophe S, S apostrophe, or just flat S. As a neurotic person does. Yeah. And uh, and you found out that it isn't, isn't actually my day. Yeah. It's, it's veterans plural, mm-hmm. not possessive. Correct. And I read to you the little segment um, about it because I looked it up according to Wikipedia. So hopefully it's correct here. And I read it to you and you got you said you were getting a little misty while I was reading it. Well, I don't know why it happened, but I did. I felt tears like the precursor to welling up, which is for me a little douchey because I cry about dumb stuff. But that was inexplicable. So it says the United States Department of Veterans Affairs website states that the uh, attributive no apostrophe rather than the possessive case is the official spelling quote because it is not a day that belongs to veterans. It is a day for honoring all veterans. Yeah, it was that last part that for some reason. Mm -hmm. But the more important holiday other than the celebration of episode 707 with Mike McLaughlin would be yesterday, which was the Marine Corps birthday. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow, that's thank you for celebrating with me, Brittany. Well, I'm, and Mike, I'm excited. and Mike, you too. Fuck off. So, Mike um, loves it. Let's before we get going, got a bunch of voicemails to get to, and, and I, I would love your opinion on all of that. But I want to. You're an expert in this field. I, I was a not necessarily. I wasn't a staffer on Capitol Hill, but I worked on 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 Capitol Hill for the Senate for many years. 
you're actually in the in the mechanism, in the apparatus of the Democratic Party helping to get candidates elected. Mm hmm. And I would, especially since you were on, you were on the ground during this historic election and, and, you know, working for Amy Klobuchar, what are some of your takeaways, man? I mean, throughout the, the primary process and then into the general election, and then we witnessed what we witnessed and we're standing where we're standing. Do you have some, uh, some juicy nuggets for us or some, some takeaways from the expert? Well, I, I don't know if they're juicy or, or expert takeaways, but I mean, I think first of all, you know, I, I recognize there's a lot of hand wringing and pro clutching and angst amongst us because we're Democrats, but like we fucking won. Yeah. Right. So I think that like we should take a step back. I'm glad we're like two minutes into the show and I, I, I dropped our first F bomb. <laughs> so, um, it's okay to do no. that here. Yeah. I, I, I know. I, I just like want Jesse to, do it first but um, <laughs> you know we we won and that's exciting right i mean you know this is going to end up being the largest margin of victory uh by percentage point for 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 a president ever um donald trump is the biggest loser uh very exciting for him and um you know the most votes ever cast for a president ever 74 million and, and still counting a lot of votes in california and other places so i think like we need to obviously have a postmortem on on things that went well and, and didn't go well, but like we shouldn't lose fa lose sight of the fact that we won. And that's exciting. And I also think that, you know, as part of that postmortem, obviously we're seeing, you know, Dems in disarray and Dems eating their own in this like AOC versus the establishment, how we should message conversation. And, um, you know, which I think is important and needs to happen. But I also think like, we need to to take a step back and also talk about how we organize as a party and run campaigns. You know, I think we had a huge opportunity this year to do interesting, unique things because of COVID and, and how we organize. And I think at some level, in a lot of places, we just decided not to organize, not to do field campaigns um, because of the pandemic. And I think that was really a missed opportunity. You know, and I, I hope that I'm, um, I hope there's some analysis done as we move forward of places where we found unique ways to organize and the success success right there and places where we, you know, literally phoned it in um, and, and our success right there and, yeah. and compare the two. I think what you're saying about the, the, the reaction to, to the coronavirus is very poignant. I think we lost Florida because of the way we handled, um, the 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 shutdown on on door knocking for instance yeah we we Absolutely. just we didn't even like consider oh well, maybe we can wear masks and 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 go canvassing hmm. they just fucking didn't do it at all and it it cost us i, I believe um i want to go back to something you said though you reference the 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 criticisms from aoc and you used the phrase eating our own hmm. and one I, I don't know if you're just it's a turn of phrase that you're using, but I don't believe that Democrats uh, criticizing other Democrats is eating our own. I believe that it's it's a mechanism by which we're going to grow and and, and become a better party, a stronger totally. party. You agree? Yeah, yeah totally. I, yeah, I I think it is a needed um, it's a needed discussion. Right. And I don't think that, you know, especially in a year where we lost seats down ballot. 
you know, at the congressional level, obviously didn't take back the Senate, didn't didn't do as well at the state legislative level as, as we'd hoped. It's a conversation that's needed, right? It can't be, uh, you know, oh, no one can question us. Like, I I think it's absolutely appropriate and needed. So I, I welcome the conversation. Well, and I, I read her interview in the New York Times, and I thought it was I thought it was really great. And she was very open, very transparent. And obviously, there's tensions that are growing between the centrists and the progressives in the party. But she has been taking a lot of heat for her criticism of the Lincoln Project. Yeah, even Democrats are shitting on her for shitting on Republicans yeah. who have ulterior motives for be- even fucking being involved in in this election. And this has been something that is very confusing to me to watch online. I know that Twitter is its own thing and yeah. <laughs> judging the world by Twitter standards is not the way to go. But just the response to her criticizing the Lincoln Project, I think, was was confusing to me. Yeah, and I, I, I think that like, well, I, I'm solidly against things like the Lincoln Project. You know, I think the best place people can put their dollars are in campaigns directly. Yes. Um, you know, if someone wanted to buy Michael Steele a new boat or a new <laughs> vacation house, like I'm sure he could have set up a GoFundMe like other people. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I just think that like when the house is on fire, like we don't need the arsonists to come in and tell us how to fix it. Yeah. Um, you know, to try and clean their conscience for for what they've created um you know but i i think the lincoln project was a total grift um the other thing we don't need is fucking john Kasich going on cnn and shitting all over aoc when he didn't even fucking deliver ohio yeah and he has the fucking temerity to sit there and criticize democrats who are actually on the ground doing the goddamn work right so right. anyway that's what I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're on board because I know, you know, I know we have we have differences relative to to policy. And uh, it's good that you're, you know, a mainline mainstream Democrat is is OK with some of the 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 critique, if you will, that AOC has had. Well, I think going back to Mike's point about taking that time to celebrate and then kind of figuring out what needs to happen now and going back to doing the work. Where where do we kind of go from here, knowing where we're at? I mean, we have Georgia, two runoff elections there. There's still work to be done. And I guess I'm kind of concerned about Democrats on Twitter, for example. <laughs> I can't get away from Twitter. Where they're kind of maybe going to sit stuff out because they feel, oh, Biden won. Now we can kind of sit this out. Instead of, no, there's still more work to do. And I guess maybe that's part of the work, too, is trying to convince people to stay enga- engaged. And not just because we won the presidency, does that mean that the work is over? Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I think not only, you know, the two crucially important runoffs in, in Georgia that, that we have coming up. And, you know, obviously in, in your backyard, we're going to have a special election for the board of supervisors, uh, for Michelle Steele's seat, you know, that I think is, is crucially important. And, you know, it may be ripple effects, you know, if there's going to be, obviously Gavin Newsom's going to appoint someone to, to Kamala Harris's Senate seat, and that might trigger another special election somewhere else. Uh, down the line, but I think I think we'll also have more specials as as Biden fills out his cabinet, right? As as you know, people are going to get uh, moved around, and and we'll have other 
elections to engage with. But, you know, we have a, a, a critically important gubernatorial election in Virginia next year. And, you know, where all 100 seats of the state legislature are up and governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general are up. And, you know, and Virginia performed really well this year at the presidential level. I think I saw that Biden won by 10 points. And, but those gubernatorial elections are always, you know, really competitive uh, races. You know, Virginia has not always been as blue as it is now. So I think you're totally right, Brittany, that like if we go back to brunch, right, as 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 people on Twitter have been saying, like, OK, we did it. We beat Donald Trump. Now we can go back to brunch and relax. Like then we're going to get the same results that we saw in 2009 and 2010. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we have to um, stay engaged and, and continue to find ways um elections that we care about and and continue to because we beat trump but we didn't beat the we didn't get the roots yeah right like we got the top of the weed um but but there's still a massive problem in this country when 70 million people want to vote for him and what he stands for Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and they're not going away they're going to show up again um and we have to to stay vigilant well i'm I am disheartened by one losing, losing, not losing control of the House, but losing seats in the House of Representatives. That is, to me, an untenable situation relative to getting out the vote. Um, losing seats, and you know, talking about where where we're sitting right now. Not you. Uh, you're, I believe, in, in still in Minnesota, right? Yeah, I'm still in lovely snowy Minneapolis. Mm. <laughs> Actually, you sound I'm, thrilled, Mike. I would love, I would love to be there. <laughs> but it is, you know, losing having Harley, um, and I've got my criticisms, which we've talked about here on the show over the course of the last couple episodes. Yeah, um, that was a win, a super winnable seat. She's a fucking terrible candidate, and I don't just mean because she's a Republican and she's a ding dong and her goddamn being on the the Orange County Board of Supervisors and being an anti-mask idiot. I just mean, she's just a fucking terrible candidate. And that was a winnable race. But anyway, um, it is it is alarming, like you said, about the 70 million. And we're going to get into that because there's a lot of people. Um, most of the calls today are about Trumpists, about how to deal with them going forward. And before I trip all over myself and lose my train of thought, let me let me let me pin down on what I was going to say, and that is, a la the the Virginia election next year, because Virginia, for those in the audience who don't know, they don't do gubernatorial elections in even years, like in midterm years, they do them in odd numbered years. So it is the ultimate midterm election because there's not you can't get yourself on the ballot with a presidential candidate and have them carry you to a victory, you're on your own. And I fear, Mike, and I don't know how you feel about this, that this Georgia runoff with these two critically important states is going to be somewhat of the same thing, even though it's only a month later after the election. Yeah, I I think, and like history bears you out on that too, right? I think if you go back, I think it was in 2008, um, we didn't win Georgia uh, at the presidential level, but 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 Obama came really close. And I think there was a Senate runoff um, 
and Georgia in 2008. It could be another southeastern state. And I may be confused, but um, you know, it was an overperformance by the Senate candidate, and people were feeling good. And then two months later, is just you know a, a bad performance, um, and, and the bottom kind of fell out. So I think you know, so many people get engaged by the presidential race that it, that's super important that we find a way to, to stay engaged. I think we have two great candidates there in John Ossoff and, and, and Raphael Warnock. Um, you know, I think they're both, both really good candidates. I think they both kind of bring different things to the table. So it's a really unique situation uh, to have both of them on the ballot, uh, but hopefully they can play off of each other, play off those strengths and, you know, it'd be great if we could could pick up both of those. Let me. We were going to do this at the end of the show, but but this is a this is just as good a place as any. Last last episode, we had uh, a longtime listener of the show. Uh, one of our it's, he's a host favorite. Marcus from North Carolina called in, and he admonished the audience to get involved in these two Georgia special election Senate r- r- runoffs and. It's good to talk. He, he, you know, he said, you, you get involved with the campaigns or give money. All that's good. And giving money is good. That's certainly something you can do. Definitely. But being the fact that you are a field organizer, you're, you're, you're a, a blood, sweat and tears um, operator in the Democratic Party. What tangible, real world advice would you give our audience on how to actually get involved in these two Georgia campaigns? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I would, you know, we, we kind of talked about third-party groups a little earlier. I, I would be wary of third-party groups. I would go to the campaigns and see what the campaigns are asking for, right? Like, they know best what their needs are. And to me, the the, the usual thing, obviously, door knocking, and, and, and that's complicated uh, this year. You know, I think people need to be be safe and and aware of the pandemic and you know i'm not suggesting people drive out from all over the country to georgia to go knock doors for the final weekend but i think you know that's always critically important phone calls are always important engaging with the campaign to get those lists you know i'm sure they have links on their website for people to phone bank from all over the country um the the things that that we've seen an uptick in over the last few years that just haven't been proven to be as effective, right? Are postcards and texting. You know, look, I think it's important to have a ladder engagement. And if that's the thing you're most comfortable with, we certainly want that help in, as opposed to not having the help. But if you're someone who's willing to be on the phone for an hour or willing to text, I, I would really encourage people to be on the phone and actually have conversations with folks. Yeah. And I agree. about what is important. And then I think the other thing that, that all campaigns, should have been doing this year. I think some campaigns did it. You know, this this concept of relational organizing, right, is so important. And I think that you can do it from wherever you are in the country. If you know someone in Georgia, you're Facebook friends with them. You know, you have a friend from high school that you haven't talked to in 10 years. Reach out to them and, and have a real conversation because you're a trusted communicator, right? I think this concept of relational organizing is something that I think more campaigns are are doing. I think it's harder. Um, but I think that is really the, I know we're going to talk about how to deal with Trumpists um, later on, but, but I think like 
this idea of, of using your existing relationships to organize around shared experiences is so important and so critical. Um, so I'd really encourage people to think about that and, and engage in their own Rolodex, whether that's through Facebook or something else, to see if they know anybody in Georgia and reach out and have a conversation with them to make sure they're registered, make sure they're going to vote in this special. I think that's critically important. Well, as as you were talking, Mike, I was looking to confirm that John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock have links on their website to do the phone banking, and both of them do. So we're going to add those to the info for the episode so that people can follow those links and sign up to do that if that's something that they want to do, feel comfortable doing, are eager to do. And, and the other awesome. thing, and the other thing, obviously, is money. Yeah. If you got five bucks, if you got 10 bucks, if you got a couple hundred bucks, those are races that are going to need the money for advertising and for just the basic functioning of a campaign. As as gross as it is that money is still so required in our politics, it is the way it is until it is the way it isn't. So if you do have some money uh, that, that you can spare, that's not going to put you in a bind, then um, really help out. With with those with those campaigns. It, well, thanks, Mike. I, that's a. Uh, it's good to hear the things that work, in your opinion, better than others. Because I, I can tell you, it resonates with me. Because I there are so many fucking texts on my phone right now that I just bah, bah, overlook, overlook. But the moments that I got a phone call, those stick out to me. And you answered them. And I did. I answered them. Mm-hmm. And actually, at the end of them, I said, "I'm, you know, this is my plan for voting, whatever, answer the questions. And then I would tell them at the end of the call, thank you for what you're doing. It's it's very important because mm-hmm. I didn't do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think everything plays a role, right? I think there's definitely, there's some people who are never going to answer their phone. And so it's great to try them by text. But I think what's happened is texting is so passive and so it's, I actually don't think it's easy. I, I volunteered for a few campaigns and texted myself and like, it's really, to me, it was overwhelming. I actually prefer making the phone calls, but it, it's such a low barrier to entry to people that our balance is totally off, right? We have so many people who are willing to send the text and not enough people who are willing to do the phone calls. And, you know, so that's why I just, I always stress if you're willing to do both, do the thing that's harder. Yeah. Right. Um, if if you can't make phone calls for whatever reason, you can only text. I'm not saying don't do anything, then then text, right? If you can only write postcards, if you can only put a sign up in your yard, awesome. Do all those things, but but push yourself. Um, and I think that's what we saw across the country this year is people and what we saw in 18, right? People pushing themselves out of their comfort zone to do something that was new or different or challenging to them. And, and has a bigger payoff. And if, you know, we talked about knocking on doors, not everybody can do that. But if you can make your way, if you're in an adjoining state, if you can make it to Georgia to knock on doors, connect with the campaign, find out when the times that they're going to canvas. And uh, if you can do it, for sure, do that. I don't know if Where they're, if they're yeah. going to be doing that, if they're learning the lessons from from the th- th- this past election. But it, I would hope that they would be. Wear a mask, step back, you know, yeah. there's a way to do it safely and socially distance. And the other, the crazy part of this, you know, I've talked to campaigns over the summer and, and into the fall 
who are grappling with this idea of, you know, should we canvas? When should we canvas? And, and they, they started to like fall. The ones who decided they were going to canvas were like, well, we'll do it on the weekends or we'll do it on the weekdays from at, after five o'clock. I'm like, you can knock at noon. Everyone's home. Yeah. And the campaigns that did it saw contact rates that were off the charts. Right. I mean, you know, in a normal year, we're seeing contact rates at 20%. If you're lucky on a Saturday afternoon this year, we were seeing, you know, I was hearing campaigns that were getting 50% contact rates. Yeah. Because everybody's home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where, you know, where are you going? So, um, you know, I think that, again, folks who are, you know, everyone has to make their own decisions to say, Steve, take this thing seriously. But, you know, wear a mask. And I, I think you can still have these conversations safely. Well, and it should be mobilizing for the people that care that these Georgia runoffs are going to determine the control of the Senate. I mean, that that should really strike fear into all of us and motivate all of us who care to act. And piggybacking off of that, know that if this should this also should motivate you, that the fact that it is a um, it, it is mobilizing us, that means it's going to be mobilizing the other side. So this is really just battle of the turnout. Who can right. who can get people on the ground to go out and fucking vote the most, the best, the, the most effective? And uh, goddamn, I hope we I hope we were able to do it. Yeah, absolutely agree. And and I think you know, I mean, I just saw pictures today of uh, the the Purdue Loeffler rally. You know, five hundred people packed into a room not wearing masks um you know but their side you're totally right jesse their side's going to be totally engaged and and i hope that you know the people that donated to to campaigns to retire mitch mcconnell and retire lindsey graham you know give are just as engaged and in a place where we can actually make a difference yeah for sure all right well, we have a lot of voicemails to get to. We want to cover those. But before we do, we didn't get to acknowledge our Patreon, our new Patreon supporters. So let's uh, let's get to that before we move on. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. First, we will give a shout out to the current Patreon supporters who upped their pledges. Yes. Carissa V. Carissa V. Will E. Will E. Stephen G. What is happening? Stephen G. William G. Will Really? William yes. G. They're all... G's and E's, V's and D's. <laughs> okay, now we're going to move on to the new Patreon supporters, Alan W. Alan W. Is that better for you? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're all good, but... Lindy S. Lindy S. Marilyn R. Marilyn R. And James C. James C. Thank sorry, you. Sorry, James, you weren't in the other group. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to each and every one of you who support us on Patreon via PayPal. Remember that Jeff Bezos revoked our Amazon link, so we no longer get paid when you shop through our Amazon link. So stop shopping on Amazon. What I need I know to do is all... just disable the fucking link well, I know because of that prick. It was not a good situation, but 
now we really need to stop shopping on Amazon because they have revoked our link. So no more Amazon. Well, we never encouraged it. The line was always, if you're going to spend your money there anyway. Yeah. Why not shop with the link? They have to give us the money and they make less. For sure. So we would also like to thank each and every one of you who just listened to the show. We we very much appreciate that. Please rate and review us on iTunes. But remember, you cannot use profanity or they will not post it. And we everybody wants to see the review. Yeah. All right. Moving on. So we do have uh, a bunch of different voicemails that we need to get to. There's kind of a theme that I noticed with, with the, the listener communication this time. Um, shall we start with, with a, an email or two, or should we just go straight into a voicemail? Straight into voicemail. All right. Hey guys, it's, uh, Andy in Oklahoma. And, you know, when the, I, I've been on a roller coaster of emotions that, you know, on election day, I was just really contemplating moving to Canada at that point. And then of course the, the mailing ballot started coming in and I started just getting super excited and then. Once they called it for Biden, I just was elated. I called my my grandma, who I you know we we don't talk much anymore. She you know we just our lives have just kind of gotten busy, and she just she and I both were just ecstatic. Uh, my family and I are like the a, a tiny blue dot in this giant red ocean of Oklahoma, and I'm fucking terrified right now. I'm absolutely terrified because. Everything that Trump is doing is signaling a serious mm-hmm. coup. Like this is, and it's one of those things that I, you know, I, I don't like to try to be alarmist, and I don't like. But I mean, Pompeo saying that they're uh, planning on a second Trump administration, which he can say he's joking all he wants. That's not funny, and it's scary. Trump uh, appointing, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists into the the Pentagon. Like this is scary. This is getting to the point where, um, and no, and I think my problem is nobody's talking about it. Nobody, I mean, like obviously they're reporting it, but everything I'm seeing on all the news is just like, oh, he's just trying, he's just upset, he's going to be leaving, blah blah blah. I, I am not convinced. I'm convinced actually that he is going to either uh, his cronies uh, at the state level are going to just completely. Uh, go against not and not the not the faithless electors, but the, the you know the governors. They have that path where they can you know choose a different set of electors. Um, you know, and hopefully there's not enough states that'll do that. But um, you know, at this point, I don't know. I mean, his the fact that the Republicans won't say anything about his his Biden's election, like this is this is getting scary. And I'm uh, I don't know. I, I don't. And, and I guess my my biggest fear is no matter what happens. There's still 70 million people who probably, at least a giant chunk of them, believe that Biden is stealing this election. And so when, when and if coup, or, uh, uh, Donald Trump, Trump does perform a coup, they see their side as the right side. Like, oh good, he's saving the day. You know, where not as he's destroying democracy, it's that he's saving democracy because, you know, Biden stole it or whatever. There's too many people that believe that, that... I don't know that there's any hope at this point. I'm I'm all out of hope, and I this should be I should be so excited because we have we're getting rid of Donald Trump, but it's worse now I think than it was. So anyway, I'm terrified. All right, bye. Second show in a row with someone saying that they're out of hope, that they don't have hope. Listen, 
one, to belay your concern and your anxiety, or at least to attempt to, Andy. You're allowing things that are absolutely out of your control to consume you. That's not healthy. Now, two, take some advice from from Uncle, Uncle Optimistic Jesse. This entire thing about the coup is, I think, a little bit alarmist. I I do believe it, it, it is. Because there are mechanisms in place, whether or not Donald Trump concedes, his term ends constitutionally mandated at a certain time on a certain day. It doesn't fucking matter whether he concedes. Now, as far as some kind of chicanery and strategy relative to the electoral college it is a that is an outside chance that that kind of shit is going to happen a very outside chance take some solace in this and then i'll ask mike and brittany if if you agree with this take take some solace in this that so far every single legal challenge that has been brought by donald trump has been just fucking laughed out of court by each and every judge. Because there is zero evidence to support the things that they allege. There's just no evidence of it. Therefore, it just gets thrown out out of necessity because there's no way to continue on with no evidence. How are you feeling about this, Mike? Yeah, I I, I think I totally agree with you, Jesse. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, look, I, I think a little comforting to hear someone with your background, you know, speak about our, you know, people's fears around a coup, right? That, you know, the Secret Service, the military, you know, are all very capable of dealing with trespassers at the White House. And <laughs> um, and if, if Donald Trump decides to outlast his visitors pass, um, that he'll be taken care of appropriately. Um, Ooh, sounds I, ominous. Yeah, I mean the moving <laughs> the moving fucking trucks they show up. Donald Trump doesn't have to order them. They just right. show up on that day. And while Joe Biden is being inaugurated, they're fucking doing their job. Right. That totally. And, and like you know, I think it's time for Mike Pence to move the fuck out of Kamala Harris's house. Right. <laughs> but um, so you know, but in terms of the people who are concerned about faithless electors, I mean, most states you know, I have laws that bind the electors to vote um, accordingly. I mean, all of the electors have been heavily vetted. I mean, they're partisan people, right? They're not just random people. They're people that the, the party and the Biden campaign put up as their slate of electors. Um, That's exactly right. Know, and, and we're going to win by with 316, um, I'm sorry, three, 306 electoral votes, right? By the time this is over, yeah. Um, we're going to win Arizona. We're going to win Georgia um, by margins that don't get changed by recounts, right? When when, when they stopped the counting in 2000, Bush was up 537 votes, right? I mean, none of these states are, are close by comparison, right? We won Harley's race by, what, 127 votes yeah. um, in 18 we're talking about tens of thousands of votes at this point. I mean, there's no, well, to get specific, uh, to get specific right now in Georgia, I believe, I mean, as while I'm saying these words, uh, Joe Biden is up like 14,000 something votes, 
when when oh, when yeah. races get re when races get recounted. Fourteen thousand ninety-three. Thank you, Brittany. See, look at that, right off the top of me old dome. <laughs> um, when when races get recounted, maybe a couple hundred votes, maybe a couple hundred votes shift one way or the other. No one's gonna fucking all of a sudden. There's gonna be a fourteen thousand vote sway. Just not how it works. Well, and regarding the coup discussion, I I kind of got a little excited about this in in a in a negative way not excited positive excited negative because i read ezra klein's article about trump is attempting a coup in plain sight and then i started looking for experts opinion on the matter like experts on coups and so i found this article written in washington post by erica de bruin and she wrote the book how to prevent coups so (laughs) she probably knows something about it (laughs) Um, is that a is that a cookbook? <laughs> yeah. So uh, she talks about how what he's doing is is more it closely resembles what scholars call a self coup, where he's not trying to remove someone else from power. He's overstaying past his his term in yeah. power, and. What I'm finding in in reading scholars in this area is that they're more concerned about the damage to democratic norms that has already been done and that is going to be done leading up to January than they are with him not leaving. Yeah, what what I believe the, the the largest threat relative to Donald Trump and this whole fucking thing with him kicking and screaming and not wanting to go is his challenges, like right now in Michigan, he's just uh, presented a lawsuit to challenge the actual legal certification of the of the results. And by delaying it, they think if there's if certain states aren't able to certify, I don't believe that's going to happen. I I have um, full faith and confidence in the course that that is not going to be allowed to happen. But what the the theory is, is that he's going to push it to the House of Representatives because certain states weren't able to certify because of his litigious delay. And then um, it goes to the House. And if it goes to the House, in the off microscopic chance that it goes to the House, we are fucked. Because it's not by electoral college numbers. It's each state gets one vote based on their uh, congressional delegation. And if that's the case, there are more states with Republican majority legislature, uh, uh, congressional delegations than there are Democratic. So it'd be like 26 to, to 24 or something like that. Anyway, Andy, calm down. Have a drink, brother. It, it's, uh, and I don't, that tone sounded shitty. Like I was exasperated by you, but it's not. It just, things are going to be okay. Of course, he's going to, yeah, we fucking won. He's going to try to throw in every goddamn monkey wrench he can, but it's going to, we are going to prevail. Trust Jesse D. Is that, are you? I think that's Mike having a drink. Are you, are you actually like literally celebrating right now with a, with a glass of bourbon? I am. (laughs) What a dirty (laughs) bastard. All right. Uh, Thank you, Andy, for the call. We appreciate you. Keep your chin up, brother. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. This is Andrew from New Orleans. I want to give a little perspective on the question that pretty much all of the callers uh, called in about and on 706. Um, the question always there is like, how can so many 
black males in particular vote for Donald Trump? Well, that question is kind of easy to answer. Uh, it's just about how the perspective is set up. Basically, the narrative had been pushed by conservatives and even a number of people who just wanted to challenge Joe Biden about his record uh, with the 94 crime bill, with the 88 crack laws. And instead of Joe giving a um, sincere, you know, apology or an answer, he kind of brushed it off and said, you know, I believe that that was the best possible uh, remedy for what was going on at the time. And so when you have a number and I, I can probably bet some money that most of the majority of the ones who voted for Donald Trump are pretty much over 40, maybe 50, over 50 years old. So they were saw they saw firsthand the effect that the 94 crime bill and the 88 crack laws uh, had on black Americans, you know, in particular. Uh, about the disproportionate rate of incarceration for black males. So you're talking about fathers, uncles, uh, brothers, you know, who have been incarcerated for 20 years uh, for, you know, the 100 to 1 crack laws. So it's just it's, it's those perspectives. And when you ramp it back up, you know, old wounds come back out and, you know, and we deal with a certain PTSD. And so they're like anybody but this cat over here. So my perspective, uh, hope that helps. And like always, Brittany is always the best part. Later. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Some of that I, I'm not qualified to speak on. But, but I can tell you this, from the stats that I've seen, um, from the after action reports that I've read relative to numbers, I think Andrew's probably on point relative to the age and the demographic uh, that particular piece of data, because young black men, young black people are over fucking whelmingly voting against Donald Trump and for Joe Biden. Now, listen, the Democratic Party hasn't always done a great fucking job. Our country hasn't always done a great fucking job related to these issues, criminal justice and, and, and people of color, especially. That is why it is critically important to move forward with a Joe Biden administration pushing them left to, 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 toward uh, social justice reform with an eye for social justice issues, making certain that people are taking... Listen, we, we can't be having this conversation every, every two years when we introduce... Um, uh, a resolution to study what we should do about reparations. We need to actually fucking do it with some seriousness. And it needs not a backroom conversation. Joe Biden needs to come out front and do it. And not for some electoral reason that he's going to benefit an election. He needs to do it because it's the right fucking thing to do. Um, it, it, is, uh, it, it is a disappointing thing. Mike, I, I'm sure you can agree that Donald Trump saw an uptick in his support from both the Latino community and also the black. What do you think? I don't want to say it's upsetting, right? Like everyone is entitled to their vote and, and nobody owes anybody their vote. Um, 
but I think it, it is a problem for the party that we need to examine and discuss, you know, especially all of it, but, but I mean, you know, these problems we saw in Miami gate, right. I mean, just a total collapse in uh, democratic support in, in Miami did democratic stronghold, but you know, something happened there this year with, um, with Hispanic voters, just, just totally turning away from us. Right. A lot of people want to say it was the Cuban vote. It, it wasn't just the Cuban vote, right. There's a, a lot of other, um, a lot of other Hispanic communities there and, and something totally happened um, that we need to figure out. We saw it also in Texas, you know, in communities around the Rio Grande Valley. Right. So um, I, I have, and, and then everything we saw with, with Donald Trump getting what, you know, 14%. Um, I think the exit poll set of, of African-American support, which is obviously still really low, but um higher than it than it has been in the past and so i think you know we have to figure that out as a party i think a couple things as we've already talked about the the lack of field operations in these communities right i mean in um in a normal year no pandemic you know the the african-american the the hispanic communities are the ones that get big paid canvassing field operations right to turn out the vote we didn't have that this year. Obviously, we we invested a lot of money in vote by mail and and other ways of turnout. But but I think that probably played part of it, right? If if people aren't, if you're a an infrequent voter, uh, an unlikely voter, and people aren't knocking on your door, pushing you to the polls in these in these communities, like that's that's a big problem for for us. So I, I think part of it is going to um, is there and then we have to really examine from a messaging perspective what we're talking about and how we're talking about it um, and I, I don't have the answers to that either necessarily but I, but I think you know I mentioned earlier this concept of relational organizing and I think we have to invest a lot more in these communities to give people in the communities a voice um, yeah. And and listen, right? It's you know, I think we're we're three well-meaning people, but but we are also not experts to talk on this particular topic. But I think you know, when when you look at what the successes were in Georgia, right? It was local community organizing groups that pushed that effort, right? Largely led by by Stacey Abrams and others, not people just just being parachuted in. Um, to run operations, but um, I, I think again to go back to, to our earlier conversation, how do people stay involved after the election? Obviously, get involved with other elections, but also in your own community or in communities you care about. Find these groups that already exist and find ways to support them who are on the ground doing the work. You know, I mean, if if anyone in American politics was entitled to walk away after 2018, after what happened to her, it was Stacey Abrams where, you know, an election was stolen from her, mm-hmm. but she didn't go away. She built organizations. She's been building organizations there for a long time and, and accomplished something historic because of it that when she's not even on the ballot, right. To no direct benefit to herself. So I think, um, I don't know from a policy perspective, 
what it is. I think what, what the gentleman who, who called in said makes a lot of sense, but I think that we need to invest more in listening in these communities and lifting up voices in these communities to figure out how we talk about those issues. Listen, I, I think, let me just put myself in somebody's shoes. I'll put myself in Andrew's shoes or just, you know, X black guy in on the street who's a voter. And I can tell you this, that looking at, if you look at the way I look at the United States with its history of white supremacy and all of the fucking terrible, horrible wrongs and abuses and injustices that we have suffered upon black people in this country, if you get a guy like Donald Trump who comes along and actually does something in criminal justice reform and the unemployment rate was super fucking low, even among the African-American community, then if 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 the United States as a whole for forever has been a white supremacist fucking country, then they're both going to be a it's going to continue to be white supremacist. Why not just vote for the guy who actually did something for me and my particular individual life? I get it. I don't agree with it. But I get it. It resonates. That's why Democrats need to move forward and not continue to take advantage of the black vote like it's just a monolith and it's always going to be theirs slash ours in perpetuity. I, I would also, I mean, were those two things that you referenced actually true of Donald Trump and his administration? The, the unemployment rate was low, whether it was his policies or not. It happened on his watch. And then the crime bill. Yeah, fuck yeah. It, it actually um the the next step act or the next chance act or whatever the fuck they called it. you know the one that uh van jones was palling around with the trumps over and so those two things you would say um made a material difference in getting additional support from the african-american community they were leaned on very heavily by the surrogates that donald trump has who who are black yeah so i'm just guessing and i'm just you know if if the country's always going to be, you know, this white supremacist operation, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd love to know the audience to see what they uh, what they'd say. 657-464-7609. Email. I doubt it. At dollamore.com. All right. Uh, Andrew, as always, we, we, we love when you sound off. Thank you for your call. Um, next up, Casey from Kentucky. Hey, Jesse, Brittany, it's Casey from Kentucky. Just woke up, kind of slept in early today, woke up to see Biden took this election, 290 delegates, according to my Google. Man, them Trump votes big mad, ain't they? They're watching live streams on YouTube with these dumb fucks standing outside, yelling, screaming, holding their Trump 2020 signs. It feels like just a couple years ago, you know, well, the fucking country started to burn down um, because of all the, the killings and you know, brutal murders our police officers were committing. Uh, they, they were like, well, you know, we don't do these things. We don't go out and protest. If something doesn't go our way, we get up and we go about our day. But here they are crying over fucking spilt milk, or in this case, uh, spilled orange juice because of the pigmentation of his skin. Uh, I just thought it was funny. Nothing, nothing real there. I mean, I, I thought nothing was going to change. Like I just kept telling myself, like, doesn't matter who's going to win, nothing's going to change. But there's one big change, and that is that Donald J. Fucking Trump is no longer president. To be able to say those words, 
uh, has given me the most joy I've woken up with since my children were born. It's phenomenal. Oh, it's so good. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, yeah, have a great one. I really hope that everyone who was of the opinion that nothing would change, it didn't matter who was president, will be proven wrong within Biden's first 100 days, given the the plans that they're cooking up. I read something about student student loan debt forgiveness, yeah. possibly up to $50,000 per person with uh, Schumer and Warren working on that together. And Am I wrong? Are they talking about even having it be like a executive order? Like yeah. not even going through. Uh huh. Yeah, fuck. That would be fucking phenomenal. Yeah. So it, it would mean that they mean it. That they're in it to win it. They really want to get some shit done. For sure. And I, I was disappointed when John Mulaney made a joke like that on SNL that it didn't matter which old white guy was in office because, from my perspective, it, it matters quite a bit, and I think for a lot of other people it does. So I just hope for those that believe it, it doesn't actually matter. They're they're proven wrong. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Brittany. I think that. You know, the student loan thing is going to be huge for so many people. You know, I think we're going to get another meaningful uh, COVID relief package, which will be meaningful for so many people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, we're going to rejoin the, the Paris Climate Accord. And so many things that Biden is going to do in his first hundred days um, that will will show these people that it does matter. And I think equally important, and I think, you know, he, he kind of had this energy, but a good man is going to be president again. And I think that, you know, that means something, right? And I think that if that is not going to be the only change, but even if it was the only change, what a massive change that is and what an exciting change that is that, you know, we we have a good person as president of the United States again. Um, and we don't have to wake up every day wondering which of our neighbors the president has declared war on this time, you know, internal neighbors, right. You know, mm-hmm. dreamers, Muslims, uh, you know, whoever. Um, so I think that, that, that is exciting. Uh, you know, I don't, sounds like that, that caller had also celebrated in the same way that I've been celebrating uh, with a few <laughs> drinks. Uh, so, so keep going, man. But I'm, um, you know, I think it's going to be an exciting hundred days for buying to, to roll out some real stuff and get some real stuff done that will help people. Absolutely. Casey, thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Hello, I did it. This is um, Keith from San Antonio. Um, I uh, found Jesse's channel about a month ago, and uh, now I'm listening to the podcast. So uh, I just listened to your episode um, just recently about, you know, Biden being recently elected. And I am not sure how we're going to fix this, all these Trump supporters. One thing, one thing that, I, that I have thought, though, that may make a difference, may not. I haven't heard anybody else think about this, but we could, um, we could try to make government, like the, uh, you know, Basically, a high school subject that is taught, like, all four years of high school so that people fully understand how our government works, how our government, you know, acts, what they do, and, you know, how they function, really. 
and, and teach that for four years, okay, so that people who are uneducated have no excuse to, you know, vote for um, <laughs> somebody who doesn't really follow any uh, rules of the government. Because if, you know, the ideas, right, of how our government functions were, like, ingrained to every American, there's no way Trump would get that many votes, right? A lot of these people are uneducated. They don't understand how the government works. They don't understand that trickle-down economics does not work. They don't understand that this country was built on white supremacy. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm really not sure. I mean, I would suggest that we get every single American a copy of, you know, obviously the Ibram X. Kendi book and, you know, books like The Cover of Law. Um, I would also suggest that, you know, we just at least try to reach out and, you know, just explain what compassion, empathy are. I mean, that's not hard to do, but apparently it is hard to do. Thank you. Bye-bye. A little harder to teach empathy and compassion than it is civics, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I highlight something because I think for a lot of us, we emphasize the generational change as being something that is important for the future, meaning, and Jesse, you talk about this a lot, older white people no longer being a part of the calculus. Yeah, just through attrition. Yeah, but the thing is, when you look at exit polling for this election, are you ready for this? 45% of white people under the age of 30 voted for Trump. Yeah. 18 to 29. 45% of white youth. So when we're talking about generational change, getting rid of things like racism or bringing bringing up more diversity, more concern about diversity, that's not going to happen naturally. That's something that is going to require engagement and conversation and continue to push for those changes because based on that number, doesn't seem like it's happening naturally. Not on a from a racial standpoint i don't think no not quick enough anyway mm -hmm. and that's the other thing that's happening uh over the march of time is that the the demographics are just generally changing in the country we're, we're becoming a less white country which as far as i'm fucking concerned is a good thing because more diversity is better and um you know it's it's pushing um it's it's, it's moving toward progress anyway uh, to kind of address um keith's call about the civics thing you're not going to get any argument from me, and I'm sure you're not going to get any argument from Brittany or 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 Mike that more education is better. Uh, just in general, as far as making people um, aware and making them prize certain things over others, and information and science and data and research are, and I haven't done a poll on it. I'm not citing numbers here. But it would seem to me that your more educated pockets of the country are where Biden won, um, and it's not places like fucking Mississippi, if if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think the other interesting thing from his call, um, you know, he talks about teaching people compassion and empathy, and, and I agree that you can't, and I don't think, you know, Brittany can, can correct me if I'm wrong, like, I, I don't think you can't learn that from a book, right? And you, you know, we can't 
give someone a class on that necessarily, but I think, and I've talked about it a few times while we've been together, but what has really interested me over the last couple of years is this idea of relational organizing, right? Where you can't teach someone how to be that way, but you can show them how to be that way. And I think if we're going to address the problem with 70 million people in this country voting for Donald Trump, right? We're never going to get all of them, but I think that we have to have real conversations with them. And, and, you know, I, I have heard it so many times on campaigns of like, Oh, I don't want to talk to that person. that a Republican. I'm not going to talk to my uncle. It's going to be a bad conversation right now that the election is over. Um, and I hate to break that news to the Trump campaign, but the election is over. Um, <laughs> you know, reach out to them. Right. And, and we have, don't do it around a candidate. Don't, don't bring up Trump. Don't bring up Joe Biden, but let's, let's talk to each other about how we got to this place. Right. And, and why they feel the way they feel. Some people are going to be, irredeemable right and 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 we can't get them but i think a lot of people just we have to have tough conversations about values and and you know i think that's going to be the kind of president joe biden is um, and certainly how he talks about things and then i think there's the flip side of the coin which i equally feel which is you know i said this on facebook and and had some people not be happy with me but let's not forget who got us here um, and the people that enabled this guy for four years. Um, and I think that goes from every intern all the way up to staffers. Um, you know, th- what they have done to this country over the last four years is inexcusable and they should be held accountable for it. It's strange to me when people argue against that, right? Because it seems like all the people that you're talking about that have been complicit, they have agency, you know, they could have, they could have decided to not, uh, support someone like this? Totally. Yeah, and even the the even the young people who who decide to take a a White House internship for Donald Trump because they thought that would look good on their resume, that would get them a better letter of recommendation to law school. Hold them accountable. This is what they've done, right? And and um, and they, yeah, no one forced them to do it. Um, and you know we're seeing it bear out, right? You know, young lawyers who went to Florida to steal an election for George W. Bush now somehow have ended up on the Supreme court. Right. So yeah. like they are, they are happy to uh, benefit from it when it helps them. And we need to make sure they're held accountable. I, um, I'm very, I'm very glad to hear you say that because what well, one, the last two videos I've done on YouTube have been fuck. No, we're not going to forgive and forget. Um, now listen, I'm not necessarily talking about Trump voters. I mean, it's going to be very hard for me to forgive and forget that, but we really need to focus on the people who took jobs within this administration to support and prop up and legitimize this fascist motherfucker. It's not just a turn of phrase that he's a fascist. Donald Trump is a real, clear and present danger to a democratic norms in the United States. He threw children in cages, tore them from their parents, over 500 of them. Maybe we'll never see their parents again. And they did it as a deterrence so other refugees wouldn't come to the United States. And if you work for him, like Anonymous, like Miles Taylor, fuck you, dude. You worked in service to this tyrant and I'm not gonna forget it. So I'm I'm uh I'm pleased to hear you say that because not everybody does agree. Even Democrats are like, well, they're not our enemies. Listen, 
if you're trying to tear down our democ- our democracy and uh, tarnish and weaken our democratic norms, then you are our enemy. You absolutely, absolutely. are. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, <sighs> you know, Jesse, I, I grew up outside Quantico, right? I think part of the oath that you take is enemies foreign and domestic. Quantico, for those who don't know, is a Marine Corps base. It's also it's where the officers train. It's also where a lot of FBI agents train. But go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Like, it's not enemies foreign and domestic unless there's an election and they feel bad afterwards and they've expressed remorse and they really want a job at a defense contractor. Yeah. You know, no, too fucking bad. Yeah. Stephen Miller should never work again. <laughs> he should rely on. I mean, he's not. He's a rich kid. He'll go work for Richard Spencer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> go work for V Dare mm-hmm. or the uh, Daily Stormer. Mm-hmm. Gateway Pundit. Good, good times. Anyway, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to end the party too soon. But we do have a couple more calls. Thank you, Keith. We appreciate you very much. Hey, Brittany, Jesse, Popeye. It's uh, it's Mike here from the UK. Uh, just thought I'd give you guys a call. Reference episode seven hundred six. And uh, Jesse, you were asking for ways in which to um, engage Trump supporters over the coming years. Uh, bearing in mind, you know, they're not going to go away. These people are in, not just in, in, in America, but they're, they're in key positions in America as well. So some of them will be heavily influential in the fields in which they work, and it'll be down to people to appeal to their better nature to, um, to get the best out of them, or hopefully to make them see um, that maybe there's another way other than Trump. Um, here in the UK, we have Boris Johnson as the Prime Minister. Uh, and a quick anecdote. Uh, we had our election here last December. Just before the election, somebody I know who has really fallen on hard times has um, had 10 years of bad luck, essentially. Some some down to bad judgment, but a lot of bad luck. Um, he's lost everything. Uh, I, I believe this guy is someone who is, at his core, a really good person. However, when I asked him, you know, you've had so much bad luck and universal credit and lost your home, all down to a lot of the decisions the government and the UK have made. Who are you going to vote for? He said, Boris Johnson. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Boris Johnson's party has been in power for 10 years, and yet he still believes they're a good party and they're there for him. These people aren't going away. What we have to do is we have to make them see through their own cause the errors of their ways. One of the things I did here was I asked um, people who were Boris Johnson supporters, amid the myriad of things that he's done that is wrong and just downright immoral, um, write down on a piece of paper three things that would make you stand aside from Boris Johnson and have nothing to do with him. Put it in an envelope, put it in a cupboard, and in a few years take it out and see how many of those things he has already done. And I guarantee you he will have done a number of those things. And, um, you know, it's up to them where they want to go. Then that's their own, their own um, emotions and feelings telling them what they already know. This guy's a bad actor. You wrote it down a couple of years ago. It's there in front of your face now. What do you think? Anyway, guys, that's, that's my thought. You know, it, it's almost like a self-critical evaluation of, of the process. But uh, be happy to hear what you, you think. All three of you are the best part. Keep the posts coming. 
That's Mike from the UK calling from a lawnmower factory. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate the call. Mikey. Mikey. Thank you for the call. Mm -hmm. So um, I think having people write down what what would uh, be the last straw and putting it in an envelope and then coming back to it like years later, that seems like the long game to me. But there is some merit in in some of that, that, that I think that not necessarily asking specifics about what would be too much, because we've learned, especially with Donald Trump, Mikey, that um, there is nothing that is too much because there's a cult of personality around Donald Trump, unlike really anything globally. He's he he enjoys support. You know, when he makes the 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 offhand comment that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any supporters, he's not fucking kidding. That's a true thing. And it's evidenced by the fact that all of the horrific things that he's done, he would say accomplished over his four years, he actually gained support. He gained, you know, seven and a half million, eight million votes more than he did last time. So I think that there is merit in some of this stuff about talking to people, not based on... um specifics of Donald Trump policies, but for instance, he talked about his friend. And for American um, listeners, he, which is most people, he, he used the phrase uh, universal credit, which is, I, I, the way I understand it, it's the equivalent of like welfare or, or unemployment. It's payments from the government. And we see that in America, where people are like Sarah Silverman with that awesome show she had on Hulu that got fucking canceled for stupid reasons or whatever. Yeah. She went to Louisiana. I think it was I Love America was the show. That's right. Mm -hmm. And she went to Louisiana in one of the episodes. It's still on Hulu. You should go check it out. And um, these are all Trump people. And then she talked about uh, the Affordable Care Act. And they're all like, oh, no, we hate Obamacare. We're, you know, it's getting free stuff from the government. And they're like, well, how, what's your health care? Oh, well, I'm on disability. Mm -hmm. I get, they're all on some kind of government assistance. Yeah. Yet touting Donald Trump as some kind of a, a a god king. Yeah, and it feels common because that's how it is in my family. I'm I'm shocked to find out that most of the people in my family going back are Republicans. Have been in the yeah. Republican Party, and my family is, I mean, generations and generations of white trash, just poor white trash. And I'm not trying to malign them. It's just a fact. We we have no generational wealth. There has been none of that. There's no hope of yeah. inheritance anywhere. And somehow they still stay caught in this cycle of believing in the American dream and being sold this idea that they can pick themselves up by their bootstraps while they live a life with nothing but struggle. That's yeah. it. So the the point that I think is... is repeatable and can be repeated is the fact that you first you have to find this person who's in this segment that we're talking about people who are benefiting from democratic policies people who are benefiting from social security ask them what are the things that they enjoy that government does and then convey to them that those aren't the result of republicans those are results of hard work from democrats generation after generation yeah totally agree i mean i think that you know, it kind of goes back to what what you know what we referenced at the top of the show, but like there is a messaging part problem in the party, right? And you know, we need as a party and individual campaigns need to take responsibility for this too. But explain what we're doing for the middle class, right? And and what we're doing to help people. Um, and I think that 
we don't always do a good job of that, right? I think, you know, sometimes we get too lost up in the personalities as well, right? Like, you know, a lot of the messaging is just Lindsey Graham is bad. Mitch McConnell is bad. Donald Trump is bad. And, and obviously they are, but like, you know, we need to explain what we're actually doing, right? I think, you know, we saw a few campaigns, Harley Ruda included, right? Use this, you know, Max Rose, another one, use this phrase of like country over party, right? Yeah. And, and I was I was talking to to Jack Denible, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys remember Jack as, as Harley's communications director mm-hmm. uh, on the campaign. I saw him last night and he said, you know, what if I believe that my party helps my country, right? Like, that's a that's a bad frame to use country over party if i believe that my party is the patriotic thing yeah right that, that Fuck, that's a, people that's an awesome matter. point yeah so, so score, score know, one for jack yeah i, I just want to <laughs> you know before he gets mad at me i want to underline that you know we gave credit to jack uh for for that one <laughs> um you know fully attributed but um you know i think that like that's a, a good point I, I i think sometimes we don't we don't do a good job. And I think that's Congresswoman Spanberger's point. Um, you know, when she's talking about the things she's talking about. Um, and I also think it's, it's, it's AOC's point too. Um, you know, I think maybe they approach it differently and have a different lens and, and obviously every district's going to be different, but I think we have to, we can't just tell voters things. We have to make them feel things and, and we have to make them feel the impact of democratic policies, right? And I think, you know, this student loan relief program is going to be be a huge part of that. I, huge, I yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Mike. I would say this. One, I, I didn't agree with the Spanberger, uh, some of the shit that about, you know, whining about defund the police as a, as a campaign mantra. Mm-hmm. I've had my criticisms on the show and I continue about you picking that particular language as the slogan for that for that uh, policy objective, but I'm not against the policy objective. I absolutely believe we need to fucking um, tear down and rebuild police departments all across the country because the culture is fucking toxic and murderous, and I'm choosing my words very carefully, though that is what I believe. But as far as as as, uh, the Democrats and messaging, the other thing we need to do, in my humble opinion, is... uh, Stop acting like we're fucking Republicans. Stop. Stop running as Republican light. Stop appealing so much to to Republican leaders. Of course we want to appeal to Republican voters, people who traditionally vote Republican, and make the case that we've got the better way forward. But we don't have to reach out to fucking John Kasich. We don't have to reach out to to, uh, Rick fucking Wilson. We don't need these people to succeed. We've done it for years, longer than I've been a a Democrat. And just stop acting like we're fucking Republicans or Republican light. Totally. Uh, I I totally agree. And I think that, and I I agree with you on on the defund the police stuff. Like, you know, we, as as I said earlier, or as as you said, I'm I'm living here in Minneapolis. Our apartment, our neighborhood is kind of at the... And very near the the epicenter of everything that went on this summer, and um, and I think that it comes down to authenticity, right? When you talk about messaging, and that's the language of 
of people who are in the streets, people who are organizing, people who are protesting, right? And so I think if, if that's the language that they are using, then that should be the language of the campaign, right? So, I, you know, I, I agree with the objective and, and I don't have a, a problem with the, the language either. I think, you know, in terms of the Republican light issue, you know, when you look at, just to look at Orange County, right? Like, I, and I think this is probably true nationally, I haven't looked. I think Katie Porter is probably the most improved in terms of electoral performance from 18 to 20 of any freshman in the country, right? I think she won in uh, 18 by, by 12,000 votes. Um, and she's obviously there are still votes to, to be counted in California this year, but you know, right now she's up 28,000 votes. Yeah. Um, and we talked about know, this it, last time on the show that those, the, 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 the demographics from district to district between the 45th and the 48th, where we live, it's almost like fucking identical. Totally. The socioeconomic status, everything matches. They're one street away, the 45th right. and the 48th. It's not like she's appealing to a different voter base. She's not. And she fucking killed it, like you just said. Mike Levin yeah. also dominated in his district as Mike, well. Mike Levin, that's right. Also, previous guest on the show. Yeah, and I, I just think, like, it, you know, Hakeem Jeffries said something this morning, I believe, um, when he was asked this question, he said, um, you know, do we want to be internet celebrities or do we want to govern? Right. And I, I think Katie Porter's done both. Right. Yeah. You know, she hasn't, you know, nothing she has done is like, uh, in and of itself meme worthy. Right. She's, she's governed like a total nerd. And I mean that in a, in the, in a totally nice way. Right. Yeah. But like for sure she has, she's getting credit for like, bringing a whiteboard and doing math, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not cool, right? But she's made it cool. And I mean, she's just a rock star. She raised $15 million to cycle, I think. And, and is, is crushing it. Um, you know, while other people are like running around trying to catch a viral moment of like, well, maybe if I do this dance on TikTok, people will like me more. And I just like, you know, she's been authentic to who she is. And, and you see that, they're out in her success. Well, Katie Porter and Mike Levin, obviously in the neighboring districts around us that kept the blue seat while we lost the blue seat with Harley Ruda, they were two people that were assisted by AOC. She actually named five people. She said she reached out to, um, I think, everyone that was in a swing district yeah. and offered assistance, and only five took her up on it, and all five of those won, including Katie Porter and Mike Levin, again, in Orange County. Yeah. Mm -hmm. L listen, it, it is... Uh... It's no mistake that when you when you campaign like a Democrat, you run as a Democrat, you don't uh, endorse former Republican mayors for president. Um, you're going to you're, you're making the best case to be elected as a Democrat. Um, and that's all I will say about that. Um, unless you have something to add, Mike. No, I, I you know, appreciate that we both have, have pulled each other as far into this uh into this gutter as we as we probably want to go. So. Well good. Well listen, um I think that is about as good a, a show as I'm able to make. Mm -hmm. Brittany Page. Yeah, I would say that's fair. <laughs> yeah. So Mike, listen, we we love and appreciate you, brother. Um you know, we've we've known each other now for years. Yeah. Um that's that's 
I mean, it's not saying something. I've got friends that are 30 years, but um, oh, we, wow. we, we really appreciate you. You you talked about how important it was, how you feel so connected, and then you just diminished it. Yeah, I love, to, I love to shit on my own points, Brittany Page. There it's, you go. It's kind of, a, it's, it's really, it's on brand for Jesse D. Well, Mike, how can our listeners find you and support you and follow you? Sure, I'm I'm on, uh, I'm not going to move to Parlor. I'm going to stay on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, you know, lost a lot of sleep going back and forth on that one. Mm. <laughs> uh, but Twitter's the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, it's M I K L A U G H L I N. Um, so so please follow me to help with my ego. <laughs> um, and enjoy my my mostly shitty takes. So your shitty hot takes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Equally shitty to mine. Let me tell you, actually. Mike's funny. Mike's got some, got some fucking jokes on the Twitter. Very good. Very good Twitter follow. Yes. So uh, I, I would I would recommend following Mike. I'm still like a thousand followers behind my wife. So. Oh, um, well, we got to do something know, about that. You guys could help me out. That'd be great. We'll get you to 999 and then you're on your fucking own. That's right. That, that, that would be perfect for uh, happiness in our household. Perfect. All right. Well, listen, this will certainly not be the last time we have you on the show. Your second appearance. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, next time something comes around, we'll, we'll get you back on. If uh, any of the listeners have questions for you, um, about anything, you know, Mike's, uh, he is an expert in this field. We rely heavily upon him and his expertise. So, uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. If you do have questions for him, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo or a regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We are going to leave you there. We would love your support. We are a listener-produced program. You can go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. That'll redirect you to our Patreon page. There are certain reward tiers uh, every little bit goes a long way to help support the show. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, Mike McLaughlin, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.